Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, that would be our desire, that you take all that we are and uh, put us to your service for all eternity. And we ask that in the hearing of your word now, you would fit us for that purpose. Amen. Do please sit. And do please find um, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's on page 1162. Right, some little, a little geography, uh, first of all, if we may. Um, there are three places you need to know about going into uh, this, uh, well, this whole letter, really, um, from Paul uh, to Corinth. Uh, firstly, let's imagine that Jerusalem uh, is here uh, at the lectern uh, as the centre of Israel. Uh, but Paul and his friend Titus and a few others are in uh, what we would now call Greece. But it was a collection, a kind of jumbled collection of, of states then. The ones that are relevant for us are Macedonia, uh, which was in the north, so assume that, that say that's the, um, uh, the banner. Forget the scale, but it's to make the point. Um, uh, and Corinth, um, and we'll call Corinth the, uh, the pulpit. Corinth is in the south, and Paul is in Macedonia, writing to the church in Corinth. With him, he has his friend, Titus. Titus has visited Corinth. I'm not going to go over the whole story from last week. Titus has visited Corinth and done some good things there. We'll hear about those in a moment. And now he's come back to Paul. And Paul is writing the letter we have as 2 Corinthians, and he's going to send it to Titus. But when Titus gets there, he's going to give him a job to do. What Paul had discovered in the Macedonian churches, since he'd been working up there in the north of Greece, (coughs) is that they were being remarkably generous. Lewis prayed for uh, churches undergoing persecution. And two two sets of churches in this story were undergoing pretty severe persecution. Macedon, up in the north of Greece, and Jerusalem, itself, in the north of Greece, from the local pagans and worshippers of other gods, and in Jerusalem, from the Jewish leaders. Corinth, by contrast, was not really undergoing persecution. They tended to kind of just mix in with the local pagans, and that's part of the problem that Paul is addressing. Corinth was very proud of itself, didn't have the same problems that others had. Paul has discovered that even though the Macedonians are desperately poor, not as it were because they're particularly made up of poor people, but simply because they're being kept down so they don't have the opportunity to uh, earn money the way that others do. If you wanted a kind of modern-day illustration of that, the the chambers uh, are off to uh, Indonesia again tomorrow, I think. Um, But in some of their prayer letters, they talk about exactly the same kind of situation in Indonesia. The Christians are kept poor in that kind of territory. Nonetheless, the Macedonians have been incredibly generous. That's the, the background to the story that Paul is telling. And so he says, what I've done is I've urged Titus, while he's with me, to uh, come to you to f- get you to finish off a job you talked about. The job that uh, the Macedonians and the Corinthians were 
both engaged in, is to supply the needs of the Jerusalem church, where there was poverty more extreme than anywhere uh, else in the Christian world at that time. The Macedonians had said they would do it, and they were getting on with it, and they were giving money to Paul uh, to take uh, to Jerusalem. The Corinthians had said they would do it the previous year. Oh, yes, yes, we'll do that. But they hadn't got on with it. And so, uh, Paul is going to send Titus back to them to say, look, you said you'd do this. Come on, folks, let's, let's get on with it. And he's going to say uh, he wants them to excel in what he calls the grace of giving. And grace is a hugely important word in this uh, English text. Uh, even more important uh, in the original. So if you've got your, uh, the, the passage in front of us, it's, the word grace is there in verse 1. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, they're overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul is saying that the generosity that they, they are offering is itself a grace from God. For I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the grace of sharing. That's the word. It's not privilege, but the, the English doesn't have the same kind of range of reference. Um, but the word there is the same in Greek. It's, it's grace again. They, they pleaded with us for the grace of sharing in this service uh, to the saints, saints in Jerusalem. And they didn't do as we expected, which is not to give much, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, because they understood what that had meant, they gave to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, we've just urged him, since he'd earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Then at the end of that paragraph, see also you excel in this grace of giving. And it's evidenced from the life of Jesus in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. They gave to the Lord and then to us. Paul says to the Corinthian church, now look, look at what they've done. If they've done that, now I note your love for me, you excel in love for me. Uh, let me give, remind you of the model of how Jesus Christ gave. And on the basis of that, that, the last paragraph of our reading says two things. Firstly, you said it, now do it. And secondly, don't worry. Don't worry that you will be impoverished by making the gift to Jerusalem. He's only t- I'm only talking about basic fairness here. You've got more, they've got less. You don't have to impoverish yourselves just to give, to help them. And then there will be a fairness. Don't worry, because behind it, all of this stands the God who in the days of the walkings in the wilderness provided for his people uh, manna and quails so that, and he ends with this quotation, he who gathered much did not have too much. So you could have collected whole baskets full. You didn't have too much because you could only get through one uh, basket a, a day. The rest would go off. Uh, while he who had uh, little, who gathered little, didn't have any lack because he could take from what the others had gathered. That's the kind of thread that runs through this passage. But the first question you've got to ask really is, why is it such a big deal? Really, who cares? We're not in Jerusalem, we're not in Macedon, we're not in Corinth. What's the point? Well, there's two two points I want to draw out for it. Firstly, why is it such a big deal? Because the good news of Jesus is about the whole world. Corinth, the church in Corinth, they were terribly pleased with themselves. 
they were focused entirely on uh, what gifts they were displaying among themselves. And so, uh, Paul points to it in verse 7. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, and in knowledge. Well, those are gifts that matter to the Corinthian church. They don't speak at all of any interactions with anyone outside. They're not excelling in evangelism. They're not excelling in mission. They're not excelling in generosity at the moment. They're they're very focused on themselves. They have very narrow horizons. Perhaps not entirely surprising, because actually Corinth is set in a very narrow geographical uh, area, surrounded by mountains uh, on most sides, with a, a slip of sea coming into it. But literally, their horizons are very narrow. But you can't do that with the good news of Jesus. What happens when Jesus dies on the cross? We have reconciliation with God. The barrier between humankind and God is taken away because sin is dealt with. And if sin is dealt with, then you can no longer have any barriers between the humankind on one side of that equation. It's meaningless. So the barriers, Paul has said in other writings, between Jew and Gentile fall down completely. And if the barriers between uh, Jew and Gentile fall down, then you can't have narrow horizons. Only for the Jews, only for the Gentiles, only for Corinth. You've got to open it up to everyone. Andrea has just been baptised in Holy Trinity, in Holy Trinity's water. She's been baptized into a worldwide fellowship founded on baptism into God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What we've just done for and with Andrea is a sign, a signal, that we do not hold to uh, uh, ethnic divisions. We refuse to have narrow horizons. For all who are baptized into the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we recognize as being connected. That is the one people of God. So away with distinctions to do with Macedonia, or Corinth, or Jew, or Gentile, or slave, or free. If you stick with narrow horizons, it becomes a fear. And it's interesting that they clearly were experiencing this fear. Well, if we give money, rich as we are, to Jerusalem, isn't that going to mean that we just end up poor? It's interesting that it's the rich people in the world that always worry about that. Macedonians weren't worrying about it, and they were desperately poor. And how many times have we heard stories up here from mission partners about going to some country or other which is desperately poor and meeting heartbreaking generosity on the other side? You don't get it uh, except where there is that kind of overwhelming awareness of what God has already done, that kind of generosity. You don't get it. Uh, The Corinthians were wrapped up in fear. And so Paul points them to the basic truth of what Jesus has done. Verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Jesus in heaven had everything. Yet for your sakes, not for someone else's, for your sakes, folks, appreciate that, he's saying. It's for your sakes. 
He became poor. He went to the manger. He went to the cross. So that you, through his poverty, so that you, again, through his poverty, might become rich. You've got all things. Why worry about a bit of money? Macedonians aren't worrying about it. Corinthians learn from the Macedonians, learn supremely from Jesus Christ, that he wasn't worried about the poverty involved because he knew he was making many rich. The good news of Jesus is about the whole world. That's why it's a big deal. It's a big deal what we've just done for Andrea and for all of us who are baptized or have in some other way made that profession of faith before the church of God. We must uh, remain active, given the temptation will always be to close down the walls. We are actively to seek out fellowship with those who represent that wider world of God to us. Why is it a big deal? Because the good news of Jesus is about the whole world. Secondly, because the good news of Jesus is about the whole wallet. All that's here is based on grace. Paul says, I am not commanding you, verse 8. It's all based on grace. It's not a command. It's I'm reminding you of some things about how God worked to kind of wake you up, to make you appreciate what God has done so that of yourselves you will kind of be spurred into action. Grace is total. It, It has to be. There can't be such a thing as partial grace. God saved you a little bit. He saved your arm, but he kind of left the rest of you out. We didn't kind of, um, uh, you know, we didn't leave any bit of Andrea above the water. Used to be said in the days of um, baptizing warriors uh, in the Dark Ages that they used to keep their, their right sword arm above the water so that they could keep that arm for fighting even though they were baptized. No, we don't let you keep your right arm uh, above the water for any purposes. It goes down too. And, and if you're thinking of getting a baby baptized anytime soon, they just might like to think that the, um, the proper rules of the Church of England in the 17th century required that the whole baby goes under. And only if the baby is sickly, apparently, do we do, we do the kind of pouring thing that we tend to do these days. But the, the principle is always there, the whole person... Because grace is total, not partial. Now, you're rich, Paul says to Corinth. So if you're rich, your wallet has to be baptised as well. What he's concerned about is that they should have what he calls in verse 11, an eager willingness. Finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it, you had that last year, may be matched by your completion of it. Do what you said. You you had a response. There was a moment when you got it. A response to total grace. And you were totally generous. Now get on with it. Do it. Do it actively. Because Jesus is totally Lord of all that you are. You can't submit to Christ. The question, do you submit to Christ? I submit to Christ a bit. That's not in there. I submit to Christ full stop, the lot of it. There was a great man at the turn of the 19th going to the 20th century called Abraham Kuyper. Um, I could could, um, ask you to stand if you fulfilled bits of his uh, life's work, but no one, I think, would be standing at the end. He was a university teacher. Uh, He was a church minister. 
uh, he became an MP. He founded the Free University of, of Amsterdam, and he eventually became president of the Netherlands. It was quite a CV, really. And it was his great view, one of the kind of great taglines that took him through all that uh, civil authority, what, what, what Lewis would have called official authorities, uh, was there is not a square inch of the created order over which Jesus Christ does not proclaim mine. This belongs to me. And most of us have got some little bit that we say, well, this bit doesn't. Paul is saying, no, it all belongs to Jesus. This is not about church giving. This is about a particular one-off collection for the needs of a community. But anything to do with money, most of us would love a rule, wouldn't we? Five percent. We've got got some big event coming up, uh, or we've got some big need that we know of in another church, another country, but please give 10%, please give 5%, please give 3%, please give 25%. We'd love a rule, but it's all... Open the wallet and recognize that it is all God's. Our checkbooks, they say, tell us more about our faith than our hymn books do. It's what, what our wallets represent, and they represented it for the Corinthians no less than for us, is simply a recognition that most of our life can be expressed in finance. What we get, what we give, what we spend, how we use our leisure what we exchange for our time, it's all there in the story that our wallet has to tell. The whole wallet for the whole world. 